0: Hi, I'm T, co-founder and VP of Design for Crave, and FemTech to me means calling attention to the fact that we haven't been designing with women's lived experiences in mind.
1: Welcome to FemTech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus Podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto. In today's episode, I interview T. Cheng, the the VP of Design and co-founder of Crave. Crave specializes in quiet, discreet, USB-rechargeable luxury sex toys for women, with innovative design and high-quality materials, they look as good as they feel. Their products are sophisticated and beautiful, just like you! Crave aims to make buying and using a sex toy an elevated experience, one that leads to fulfillment and thoughtful conversations about sexuality. All of Crave's products are designed and developed by their women-led team in their Advanced R&D Center and Micro Factory in San Francisco. T. Chang is an award-winning industrial designer committed to creating innovative products with years of experience working in designing products for women. At Crave, T. leads the design vision of the company's full line of products and has been the leading voice in bringing modern sex toys into the mainstream. My interview with T. was so much fun and she's offering our listeners something very special. Go to lovecrave.com and use promo code FEMTECH to get a free engravement on your sex toy. That's femtech at lovecrave.com. Enjoy the episode. Hey T, welcome to the show. Hi,
0: Brittany. So good to see you.
1: Yes, you have an awesome background there. I know we just kind of got dislodged. Um these construction workers, man. They're just everywhere.
0: Yeah, they definitely know our um, uh, interview schedules. Don't they know? (laughs)
1: We're trying to podcast, (laughs) you know, but that's okay. I'll talk about vulvas everywhere, anywhere, you know. So (laughs) are you in like a closed room? Mm -hmm. I am, I am. Cool, cool, cool. cool. Um, Well, I'm sure that you are no stranger to talking about women and pleasure and their health out in public, so um hopefully the construction workers can hear something and like it you know it's good for them (laughs) they'll learn something (laughs) yeah exactly well we always love to start our interviews asking our guests about their background so where are you from what did you study uh did you have a career before getting into uh what you currently do you know and how did you end up here
0: yeah, so I'm um, originally I was born in Taiwan and my whole family immigrated to Atlanta to Georgia um when I was six years old. So English is not my first language and I grew up in Georgia, um, which is really uh, unique in that there aren't that many Asian women, uh, Asian people in general uh, in in Georgia. It's not like the West Coast. I now live in San Francisco, uh, where I've been for the last um, 12 years, Um, and it's it's just so different. Um, I have a background in industrial design, so I've been designing products. Physical products for women and general population, from things like hairbrushes to bicycles to furniture. Um, before uh, when I was about 28, so that was about 12 years ago. Um, I decided that I wanted to design vibrators for women,
1: and here we are. Hell yes! What what was the turning point from furniture and bicycles to sex toys?
0: Yeah, I. Noticed that in my profession of industrial design, I was generally the only woman on the team, or I was the first female hire of the design team. And at first, I was like, okay, this is just kind of odd. And then as I started to talk to more women, I learned that th- that wasn't an exception to the rule. That was sort of how things are in my industry, which is very alarming because when you think about how, when how designers create products—they're all bringing their own lived experiences. Mm-hmm. And when you have uh, a team that is all men, or they have a very homogenous view of the world, and they're ignoring pretty much fifty to fifty-one percent of the population, the products that they create are not only are not going to be suitable for the general population because they've ignored women, basically, um, but these products. are are not optimized and they're not ideal. And I think in particular, vibrators to me was an area that I remember I was like 27 or something at the time. I was looking for a vibrator for myself Mm -hmm. and I was living in Boston at the time. I bounced around um, and I was just kind of, I don't know, underwhelmed at the selection that I had at that time. Um, And when I looked more into Products, because you know, I have been to sex toy shops before, um, you know, when I was you know in my early twenties, and I thought things have gotten better, and then by then it was still not better. Like the products available to me were the same old awkward, embarrassing phallic objects, and that's when I decided that wow, um, you know, I also learned that that was an industry that was created by men directed at women market it Mm -hmm. towards women, but not really designing for women. Mm -hmm. So that's where I decided that I wanted to do something about that.
1: How do you figure out who's the designer of sex toys? You know, like when you walk in there and you walked in at the sex shop and you were like, what the heck, like who's designing these? Like, can can you look that up? Uh, Well,
0: I think for one, you can definitely deduce it by the shapes that they put out, Uh because I know I'm kind of generalizing, but like, what do men think women want? Yes, obviously they're D. Now I only got this confirmation because I've been in industry for so long and I've actually been to the trade shows. I know who's behind the brands. I know who runs a lot of the, the big brands and all that. And I'm like, wow, this pretty much validates and confirms my suspicion. I mean, and also if you think about the packaging of some of these products, it's like, It's like these scantily clad women, not that there's anything wrong with that, you know, trying to sell a product. And that's obviously very much created from a male gaze of what men think women want to be to please them. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was all very off putting. And so when you think of it from that lens, and also some of the branding of the products are just so atrocious. You're like, did you even hire a marketing person for this? You know, and and that's when I was like, yeah, wow, okay. And then also, if you trace back historically, um, where a lot of these products came from, um, they were very much created uh, by the porn production industry uh, mm-hmm. that decided to make products. Um, and so that's sort of the the root of, a mm-hmm. lot of the products that we see today.
1: So I know a lot of toys I've had over the years. Um, like they have little butterflies or turtles on them or whatever. Yeah. And all of the sex tech companies I see in femtech today, I almost see no animals. The youth is the butterfly thing. And is that all like from the male gaze thinking what women wanted that we wanted a butterfly vibrating on us?
0: So this is my,
1: my personal, uh, uh
0: uh, unsubstantiated account of how that went. Okay. Um, I think men got together like, Oh, what do you think? What do you think women want? Uh, they want a penis. Okay. So let's make a penis. So they made a penis. It's like, Whoa, okay. Well, maybe this is a little aggressive. Let's make it pink. You know, cause women like pink, right? Let's make it pink. Okay. They made it pink and they're like, Oh, I don't know. It's just still kind of like aggro. Like, Oh, I know we'll put something cutesy like a butterfly or maybe like a dolphin. So it's a little a more dolphin, cute, a
1: yeah. little rabbit. Yeah. Little yeah. Rabbit. So it's
0: a little yeah. more, um, you know, uh, approachable
1: uh, and, be like, and then
0: they called it a day. That uh, is my account of where I think that came from. <laughs>
1: okay. Yeah. I've never thought about it till right now with the whole animal thing. Cause it's true. I don't, any of the new products from our femtech founders, I don't see any cutesy little animals. I see like high tech, engineered, futuristic looking, you know, materials. So, wow. All right.
0: Yeah. I, th- I think it's definitely a perspective of how I think an in industry that's very disconnected to real women um, feel that they can make something approachable and cutesy and less threatening than like, you know, it's like, dude, like it's, yeah, it's not about dolphins and butterflies and, and QC themes like that. It's also, it's very, very insulting, I think also, but not to say like some people do like QC things and that that's fine. But, um, that, that is just, you know, an approach. Yeah,
1: totally. So you're like, what the heck is going on here? I'm a product designer. I know what's up. What did you do about it?
0: So for me, I, for one, I was very drawn to the fact that these type of products are for a very real human need, which is pleasure, which Mm -hmm. is something that our bodies deserve. And yet the products available to meet that need were just so horribly conceived, poorly manufactured, and clearly not with the intended users in mind. Mm -hmm. And so there are two problems here. From the product point of view, that was an issue. But the other point of view was also this cultural stigma that kept these products in places where women didn't want to go. They didn't want to go to that weird shop on the corner of downtown somewhere with some weird dude behind the counter. you know. And that there was just a whole host of problems from the pro, from product to the experience. And for me, I felt the only way to really lift this out of the gutter was to really create products that are so beautiful and so functional, so easy to use, that when people look at this product, they no longer think of, "ooh, this is gross, this is icky, this is inappropriate. And so that is sort of my intent in going in as a designer, is to bring really aesthetically and well-considered products from a functional technology standpoint and aesthetic standpoint um, that elevate what this category could be.
1: Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Is that when you started
0: Crave? So actually, technically, I started a company before I um, uh, joined Crave. Um, I started a company, I bootstrapped it myself called Incognito. And it was a series of sex toys that uh, brought together uh, sex toys and jewelry. So I kind of uh, started that idea in 2008. And from that, uh, I basically, I was a one woman show bootstrapped it. And, um, I launched this company, good vibrations gave me my very first PO, um, which was amazing. Um, they're one of the first, uh, sex, you know, female sex toys in the U S and, uh, Yeah. And and so I launched this company. And then a year and a half into that, I met Michael, my co-founder at Crave. Um, So basically, he had started Crave. And he, luckily, he was one of those men that had the foresight to know that there are already too many male voices in (laughs) this industry. So from the get-go, he was already looking for a partner who is both a design leader as well as someone with entrepreneurial chops, And I just happened to fit that bill. And then we serendipitously connected at a trade show uh, way back in 2000, I think like 2010 or 2009. Um, and so we ended up, um, he bought my company incognito to bring me on board so and i continued on with the idea of sex toys versus and jewelry you know into crave but as well as creating and designing you know new products for them so i've been with crave since the beginning in 2010 and so that's 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 that.
1: (laughs) Gosh, amazing. And so as you're in this career, you know, you, you spoke briefly about like the culture of it, of like going into a sex shop and stuff, but you also said, you know, you're an immigrant from Taiwan. What does your family think about this? Is that a conversation that happens or is it just like, you don't talk about it or what does that look like? Um, I will
0: definitely say that me starting a sex toy company was not their first choice of of their preference of my way of bringing honor to the family. <laughs> they would have rather me, you know, having done something else. However, that said, um, they're very proud of me. Um, mm. All my family is. Um, I mean, I am very lucky in that even though both my parents are conservative, um, they are very open-minded. Um, I think both of them have maybe it's their they're both scientists in that in that respect. And to them, I think it it made sense, you know, after I show them our my, you know, the products and, and whatnot. But of course, it was definitely a little um off-putting at first, but now they're all very proud of me.
1: Oh, that's awesome. And so um, so you're you're in this company, Crave. What does Crave do?
0: Um, so I mean, as a whole, um, we bring modern products, um, pleasure products that basically look as good as they feel. I mean, uh, I mean, we are a very female-centric company and we really embrace the idea of women's lived experiences. And we have a diverse team of folks, um, men and women, because it's not just about, oh, only women can design for women. It's not that. It's that yeah. it's important to have stakeholders who are women. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you have a diverse team, you are able to address Problems from multiple points of view. That is a way you can solve a problem more thoroughly when you have people of different backgrounds. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. I mean, we uh, we've been around for about ten years. Um, we have a manufacturing um, a micro factory in downtown San Francisco, um, and yeah, and we have created some really cool products throughout the years.
1: You sell them through your website, or are you are you distributor to like the Adam and Eve's of the world. Um,
0: so we we have us we we definitely are direct to consumer predominantly, um, but we definitely want to meet people where they are, which means that uh, we do support shops that. Um, uh, people like to go to, you know, in places like Museum of Sex, uh, Pleasure Chest, Babeland, Good Vibrations, and, um, you know, the very well curated experiences that women are comfortable with. So um, that's a, so, but predominantly we are a direct consumer
1: brand. Yeah. So cool. And, you know, I know on your website it is still very like jewelry oriented, right? Um, I would
0: say, no, I mean, well, we're best known for this one. So we have about eight products right now okay, yeah. and, uh, the Vesper vibrator necklace, uh, we launched that in 2014 and that has become probably, um, the product we are best known for as a brand. Um, it is a product that is very unique. Um, we have patents around it, um, and it is basically an external clitoral vibrator that, um, you can wear as a necklace so it has both a very functional aspect of this product where you know if you just want to leave it at home and use it as a great external slim you know elegant vibe at home by your bedside all for it you can remove the chain and it's great for that on the other on the flip side it has this really unique aspect of being able to be worn out as a statement piece as a statement jewelry piece and that is I think um the embodiment of what I think crave and what I'm trying to do is that because this product is so beautiful, when people wear it out, it's creating conversations wherever it goes. Like I've had so many stories of women saying like, oh, I wore this to brunch or um, I've worn this on my first Tinder dates because I wanted to see if this guy was cool. Yeah, And to them, they use this Vesper as like a litmus test to see if he's cool or not. And I was like, that's amazing. Oh my God. Yeah. And I think that is uh, that. So, so yeah, so this product um, really, I think, put us on the map and we also have a a range of other products that are um, just great external clitoral vibrators um, because we understand that um, there isn't like a one vibrator for everybody yeah uh, I think women want different experiences as well as like you know a woman who maybe really loved the necklace one day may really want something else the next day. we are capricious like that and we um, have different moods you know and so um, we offer a range of products for those experiences instead of approaching it from like oh this is the one vibrator for all because I don't think that really exists.
1: Yeah, no totally and I mean speaking of like personalization, can you tell us about what my vibes is?
0: Yeah. My Vibes. um, So if you go to our website, um, there is a section for my Vibes and what's where that came from was actually in 2015. Um, So as a brand, we actually launched the world's first crowdfunded vibrator in 2011. Mm. Uh, That was with the duet. Yeah. And I mean, I know that's, you know, way back when, when crowdfunding was all the rage and now, yeah. And now it's like so pedestrian. Um, But yeah, so that was in 2011. um, But then in 2015, because that went over so well, um, we realized like, wow, you know, there is a lot we don't know about the vibration patterns of women, of what they like, what they prefer. And so we created Vibes back in 2015 as a way when we crowdfunded our Flex series, which we have two products, Flex and Duet Flex. These are uh, both products that are um, have basically very flexible tips. And when we did the crowdfunding of those, we decided to crowdsource the vibration patterns. So that means the first 200 people that purchases us off um, our, our site, um, they were able to use my vibes to adjust exactly the patterns and the power and the intensity that they like. Uh-huh. So that was first created as a way so that these women can adjust what they want and then send the data back to us. Um, and then we did big data crunch. And then we... Found these like most um, uh, uh, well-liked patterns. And then we put that into, yeah, put that into the final product. So that's kind of where it started. And then we learned that, Hey, look, you know, there are plenty of times when women, they get a vibe and those vibration patterns aren't customizable, you know, like you could make it some more intense or less intense, but sometimes even some, some of the lowest of the low isn't still too strong for you or the highest, power setting is still not powerful enough so we decided to take the my vibes into a next level of customization um, is that it allows people who buy our newest duet pro they can plug this in and then adjust and manipulate the patterns the power and the intensity to what they like so
1: so cool like Super customizable. I freaking love it so much. That is so awesome. <laughs> yeah. And
0: like there's like a, um uh you know, I've heard women say like, like, you know, sometimes I just I don't want to have like like 32 patterns or 16 patterns that I have to like, like scroll through to find the pattern I like. Um <laughs> so what's cool about my vibes is that um it allows you to just keep the ones you like. So for example, if all you like is constant. Like you don't want any of those random mass patterns. You don't want any of that stuff. You just want like a nice constant. You can do that and delete the other patterns and turn them off so that you just have what you want and at this power settings you want. So yeah.
1: Yeah, I know I personally hate it when I, you know, climax and then I have to go through the toys like 10 other settings and I'm like I'm trying to relax right now (laughs) like all these like all these like you know and I have to try to get to the off version right yeah right that's what I'm thinking about
0: (laughs) yeah and I think that just goes to the user experience I think you know having just knowing that like we don't want to go through that
1: hassle like like what man has been like oh yeah and the woman doesn't want to go through all those settings afterwards she just wants to kind of lean back and Take a deep. Yeah, rest. just
0: chill. Just take it. Yeah, just chill, you know? Yeah, and like also off and down. Our product.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So with our products is like if you just hold it down
0: like a long press, like a couple of seconds, it just turns off wherever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't make you go, go through all those different settings. Oh God.
1: Can you tell us anything about like, is there like the most popular setting or something that we may find surprising?
0: Um, well, I think what's surprising is that just pleasure is just so complicated. And I think we, I, I know, I know it's such a cop-out answer, but it's like, yeah. um, I think as my role as a designer and, you know, as, as the brand and crave, you know, we really just try to create products for various experiences by embracing the fact that there is no one right experience for all. Um, because I think we are so, I think as humans, we, we really like to normalize things by like putting in like a gold standard on something um, so that that's what we strive for. Um, but I think in the case of particularly in pleasure, it is so diverse and you you can't and people need to have options, basically. Mm-hmm. So that's what we try to do is that we create both products that have a place in public like the necklace but we also have plenty of products that are great at home whether in the shower in the bathtub or etc or all of the above
1: mm-hmm. yeah well so i also noticed on your website i love the information that you provide and you kind of talk about the history of sex toys would you be able to speak on that a little bit um like when was when were were sex toys is this a recent thing is this a you know what happened there
0: um so you mean the history like the history of pleasure or do you mean the pleasure manifesto uh which one
1: uh, let me see real quick listeners you have got to check out their website lovecrave.com so cool Oh history of women's pleasure that's it yeah
0: Yeah so that that was a project so um in addition to making products um another aspect of the company is that we do these projects Oh hold on one second I have, this is a romance auto. So like suddenly if I don't move for 10 minutes, it just like turns off the light on me anyway. Um, so that's why it suddenly went dark. (laughs) Um, sorry, where was I? Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in addition to making products, we also take the time to create these projects that we think help to start conversations in Ah. different ways because of what we do the topic is so stigmatized. There's still so much taboo around it. There's so much red tape, like on social media, you can't, you know, advertise, you know, all these things that in order to change that perception, I think we feel that the way that we can do that is to help create that conversation. And so we do these projects like, for example, the history of pleasure, uh, which is basically this video that we commissioned um, that tells about women's pleasure, the history of it, basically how it has been suppressed for centuries. And we give facts from, you know, back in the days of Greece to, um, you know, Gray's Anatomy, how um, one of the editors simply deleted the clitoris and the damage that Sigmund Freud has done on women's pleasure um, by saying ridiculous, you know, putting forth ridiculous hypotheses that many of which have now been debunked. Like one very famously is that uh he claimed that clitoral orgasms are only had by uh young girls and children, whereas like a penetrative orgasm are had by mature women, which is a whole it's just straight up nonsense <laughs> no. yeah, and he i mean he his a lot of his other theories about other things that he claimed is now like you know very openly debunked, but yeah. what happened was that effect made women and a lot of people feel that or broken somehow, just because we could not climax via penetration. Whereas in reality, and later on, Alfred Kinsey concluded, Kinsey, yes, concluded that less than 18% of women can actually orgasm penetratively alone. That means without clitoral stimulation. Okay. So it's just, it's, it just goes through the history of that so that people understand how so much of, what we've tried to own as our own body, our own pleasure has really been systematically suppressed for a really long time.
1: Yeah, no, hundred percent. There's also one other project I want to tap on really quickly. It's uh, the pleasure tour. I think that's you in a van It says, yes. build the oh vibe workshop and there's like this super dope little van. What? Tell about yeah.
0: Oh my gosh that is like I would say that's probably the craziest thing I've done in my entire life. Um so okay in 2018 um we purchased an airstream which is basically this trailer at which we gutted and then we made it uh renovated into a um a vibrator store basically it's a
1: vibrator pop-up store and a you know, vibrator it looks like a little like Apple store or something you know like there's yeah. like Yeah. Yeah.
0: Exactly exactly and um And the idea was that we wanted to take this on tour. Now, one of the reasons I want to back up is the reason we we did that is because I was so frustrated with the fact that after starting this company and for five, six years, we found like an audience that really love our products. And as any company would do, once you found a good product market fit, you want to advertise it. Well, unfortunately, because of what we do, all these progressive Uh, tech companies like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, I mean, Facebook, Instagram are now the same thing, but they vehemently prohibit anything that has to do with female sexuality. Whereas, you know, Viagra for men is totally fine. And so I was so frustrated that we were unable to do that. And we, we know that for a fact that whenever people see our products in person, they love it. They cannot believe that this is what, modern sex toys look like this is a vibrator and you know the conversion is just super high and they're really engaged and so that's why we decided to create this airstream and it became this actual physical retail experience where um basically i towed it by myself often um across the country from san francisco to palm springs to portland to boulder um to chicago new york and then back um along the way and i think pennsylvania i mean i mean It was probably the most empowering thing I've ever done, but it it was just super awesome because we were in these mainstream design festivals and uh, like Coachella or like, you know, uh, stagecoach and or design events where people were at. And when people saw our Airstream, they were just amazed at just like how like fun and friendly and people all came in to look at this. And when they came in, you know, it really changed how they felt about sex toys because they realized like when they come in um they're like they're like wow like these are sex toys like I don't have to like whisper about
1: it yeah I mean it's like super open like you know the van that looks like super colorful and approachable like you may be selling ice cream cones or vibrators you know (laughs) (laughs) they're both (laughs) treats (laughs) oh my gosh last question for that one where is the van now
0: uh, so right now we have it in storage um, at the moment. Yeah. So uh, due to, you know, the pandemic, um, yeah. we're definitely not doing any uh, in-person events for now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. How do y'all get around the lack of being able to do advertisements? I mean, this is like an obvious awesome strategy, but also you can't just be on a van, like traveling the country, right? Like you want to do scale marketing. So do you um, do you have any advice for our sex tech founders that are listening that, or even, it's not even sex tech, it's even breastfeeding startups can't post. It's even vaginal health companies can't do ads. So do you have any advice for companies that are struggling to get their marketing ads out there? I mean, it's definitely atrocious um,
0: the censorship that a lot of these uh, big tech companies um, are imposing. Um, you know, I, from, from, from our experience, I think, we really go back to the product. Um, We go back to making sure that the product is something that people love. Mm -hmm. They love to use. And if that's the case, they will tell other people about it. Because Mm -hmm. sometimes marketing is almost like this tax you pay on products that aren't really that great. And you just like pay... And get it in front of people's faces and just like almost like, you know, just hit them over the head with it with lots and lots of marketing. And I mean, of course, there's like an in between. And I feel like because we are kind of outcasted, like we are on the side um, that is not allowed to advertise, I think a great fundamental to start is to making sure that your product is really loved and well received by the actual end user. Because from that, then they will tell other people. Um, And then I think one thing that I think we've done, we've been able to do well, despite social media, is that we have utilized social media to have really authentic conversations with our customers. What that means is that we listen. We listen to what they're confused about. We listen to what they're upset about. We listen to the things that they want more information on. And that has helped us to become a better brand and to have a better dialogue with our consumers because these are real pain points. And so we try to come back to them with information that we've researched, we validated, um, and or bring sex experts or clinical psychologists or doctors to answer those questions um, so that we're using social media to bring value to yeah to people. So these are some of the ways that, you know, we're not perfect. You know, we are where we're at. We're, you know, I think, um, you know, one of the leading voices in, um, uh, pleasure products today. Um, and despite not having advertising, um, these are the few things I think that has worked well for
1: us. And listeners, I hope you see a trend. We've done well over a hundred episodes. The most successful femtech companies usually have an education arm for like educating their consumer. They usually have a community arm to gather the voices, make them not feel alone. Like they're the only ones, you know, listening to your consumer, very, uh, very founder forward, very building in public, very like, Hey, we're the creators, but this is for you. So you tell us, right. So that community aspect and then referrals being the number one, like acquisition strategy for femtech companies, because women trust women with their health. And so you didn't, I don't know if you've ever heard of my trifecta, femtech trifecta, but it's always so cool to, you know, guests come on and they just like innocently tell me and I'm like, that's the trifecta. Like, that's the thing. Ooh. Like it. <laughs> If you're successful, that's what you have. Um, and it's a big like ask, right? For founders to be an educator, community builder, an entrepreneur, a tech engineer, you know, to be all these things. But that's, that's what we do in femtech, you know? Um
0: Yeah. And it just takes also great people and building a great team. Cause one of the things I've learned is that I cannot do all of this by myself. There are some things I am absolutely shit at. And luckily I've been lucky to find great people who, you know, believe in this mission and that it's just so key to, you
1: know, founding a company. Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. For me, I suck at branding. I think everything looks great. Um, and I also can't make a website. I'm a genetic engineer. I could clone stuff all day. Cannot make a website. I don't know what is hey. wrong with my brain. Hey. Does not compute. Luckily, there's other people that are really good at those two things. Um, I want to ask you really quickly about your pleasure manifesto. Um, when did that come about, and why? Why did we need a pleasure manifesto?
0: So pleasure manifesto. I think it was either. I think it was after the history of pleasure, um, and. I think one of the things I observed um, is that we, as women, we can sometimes lack the vocabulary to talk about what we want. Mm -hmm. And we are often not reminded enough that we deserve pleasure. We deserve all the goodness that our bodies are capable of. And so the manifesto is in a way that, is to like you said to help women to feel less alone and is to almost to it's almost like a cheerleader and a friend that's like yes own it like it's yours you're not weird you're not alone you know it's okay to be kinky you can you can do anything you know it, it, it's it's okay and so that's kind of the sentiment of that
1: oh i love it i love it i love it it's so amazing i love manifestos right so we even have a femtech manifesto about like the future of women's health is going to be equal. Like that's our we're going for it, right? Like we're not here we're we're here saving women's lives and that includes pleasure because there's actually I think there's some studies that are that show like orgasms in relation to health and that's all another
0: episode. 100%. 100% there are definitely proven um documented health benefits to having regular orgasms and or how pleasure really enhances one's well-being. Yeah.
1: Everyone, go get it. Okay. I don't care what time it is. If you're at work, go.
0: <laughs> go. Also, our website, lovecrave.com, is super PG. Like, people have oh. landed on there and thought that, like, we were selling USB uh, flash drives. <laughs> like, I am not joking. i had
1: people. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, T, this has been so amazing. I have two last questions for you that our listeners love. The first one is we have a lot of aspiring femtech founders. So what's an area in women's health and wellness that you think still needs innovating?
0: There's so many. I mean, you know, if you just look around things like seatbelts, for example, it's sometimes it's not even very specifically female. I mean, one of the travesties is that we still do not have seatbelts that fit pregnant women. Yeah, Uh, car crashes is the number one cause of fetal death relating to maternal trauma. I mean, we have like, hello, you know, it's, it's, it's like a lot of the needs for women, even in products that are supposedly designed for the general population have not considered women's anatomy, women's genetic, you know, well, just makeup and, you know, in, in mind, and so I think there is a lot that we need to go back and fix. Um, so, especially like you know about you know in um, in the medical realm, I don't know if you've heard like a lot of clinical trials are often done with just men as the first. Uh, Test for efficacy. So imagine that. Like, I I can't help. Like, so they do that, and then they bring in women, perhaps later on, if they ever do. Um, And some of the complaints I've heard is that they don't bring on women is because they don't want to to deal with their menstruation and like all these things. I'm just like, but that's what being a woman is, and so you can't just ignore all of that and be like, oh, we just want humankind to be male, you know? And therefore, I just feel, especially in like clinical trials, like how much how many, how much, you know, medicine have have women missed out on, um, because the efficacy wasn't, you know, found in men, you know, where it could have worked on only women. So anyway, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. What drugs were, th- you know, thrown out of the trial because it didn't work, but it was because it mm-hmm. didn't work on men's metabolism and what what drugs have worked with men's metabolism and their physiology that actually doesn't work for women and women die because they're getting the drug and it doesn't really work, right. you, know? have you
0: Have you heard of a book called Invisible
1: Women by Caroline Perez? Yes, we actually at Femtech Focus have a book club where once a month we pick a book and at the end of the month we review it. And I think that's on our list this year. Oh my goodness. So, well, check out my um, Instagram because I did
0: an IG live interview with her. Okay. is like my soul sister. Talking to her, I felt so at home because yeah. I think a lot of the frustrations that we're talking about, she, in her book, she actually has data so that you know, because, you know, sometimes when we say these things, like, oh, women, you're so emotional, you're so crazy, that doesn't exist, gaslighting us. But really, no, she actually puts the data, the facts out there. So you're like, yeah you know, uh, you know, not having uh, seatbelts for women is causing maternal trauma. And so there's just so many things from snow plowing to heart attack medicine to, you know, auto safety, voice recognition. Anyway, there's just so many. So please read that book. It is a Bible. I I tell every design professors to make their design students read.
1: Yes, yes, yes. 110%. We are, we're right there with you. Totally. Uh, Our last question is, what do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now in order to be successful?
0: I think it takes insights for both men and women um, and embracing lived experiences. It's not about excluding men, but it's about bringing women with lived experiences as the stakeholders into companies so that we can all come up with better solutions for everyone. So yeah, I think, um, it's not about excluding men. We need, you know, their support and we need diversity of men, um, so that we can all get to a better outcome because the world's fucked up and we're not going to solve this alone. We need everybody. So yeah.
1: We need no. everybody and femtech focus. We love our men. We love our men. We love our gender non-conforming. We love our gender fluids, whatever. Like we, we are very not, I always say kind of silly, like we're not just a bunch of angry feminists. That want to talk about clitorises we're a bunch of like excited feminists about like the future of clitorises and like what we could do for them and we can make money via you know investment and we can make innovation and health and uh, so we're we're very pro men we love our male uh founders um it's actually awesome. quite interesting that they struggle to fundraise for femtech companies because investors cannot believe that they would care that much about women's health so it's just all the gender issues, man, all of the issues, but luckily we have people like you making bad ass vibes and, you know, making it personalized to women and traveling the country in cool vans. I would please like when the world opens back up, I would love to hitchhike for a little bit on that. That looks, amazing. <laughs> I'll invite you. I'll,
0: I'll give you, I'll give you a call and be like, Hey, hey, I'm here. Uh, you want to meet up?
1: <laughs> hey girl, be right there. Yes. I yeah. would totally be there. Well, thanks so much for your time today. You are amazing. Thank you for listening to my interview with T. Cheng, the VP of Design and co-founder of Crave. Crave believes that when people fully embrace their own pleasure, they can lead richer, fuller lives in order to express themselves and empower their lives. I would love to take a few minutes and read you their pleasure manifesto. And don't forget about your special offer. Go to lovecrave.com and use promo code FEMTECH to get a free engravement on your sex toy. That's FEMTECH at lovecrave.com. All right, I'm going to read their manifesto. It's so good. Because consent is too low a bar, if we talk about pleasure outside of the sheets, we can bring it outside of the shadows. You should never have to feel bad about whatever makes you feel good. Touch yourself, there is power at the tips of your fingers. Because when it comes to pleasure, one size does not fit all. Pleasure is not selfish. It is not indulgent, and it is never a waste of time. Pleasure is not a zero-sum game. There is no equality without quality of pleasure. The term guilty pleasure is an oxymoron. Enjoy yourself. You deserve it. Be the best lover you've ever had. Be your own greatest desire. Be your own great love. Be whoever the hell you want to be, in the sheets or in the streets. Turn yourself on. Ask for what you want, then get it. Find the words that empower you, then use them to get what you deserve. Own your pleasure. Ugh, so good, y'all. That's such an amazing manifesto. I want to live by it. All right, Fem fans, make sure to join our virtual community. You can do that via femtechfocus.org. While there, um, you can become a FEMPRO member for $10 a month and get recordings to all of our previous events. There's been dozens of them, including a summit. So definitely get on that. Subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on social media at FEMTechFocus. Also consider setting up a recurring donation because FEMTechFocus is a 501c3 nonprofit and relies on your donations to operate. Okay, Femme fans, until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.